Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Dear brothers and sisters And welcome to episode 5 of the Convo podcast um, We're going to be doing a bit of a news wrap this time around uh, We're going to be looking at a number of uh, key news items um, That there's been some of which there's been recent developments And others that are sort of ongoing issues that we feel uh, it's important to get our heads around and talk about, inshallah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, one, the historic UAE and Israel deal. Historic for all the wrong reasons, may I add. Um, and then we've got the Yemen crisis, an ongoing civil war, a massive famine. has been going on for many, many years now. And unfortunately, sometimes it is swept under the carpet. And the third thing we're going to look at, inshallah, is the issue of the Uyghur Muslims or the Uyghur Muslims in northern China and the consistent oppression that they've also been facing. Uh, so we've got a number of issues to look at, inshallah. We're going to go through them in a fair amount of depth and detail, inshallah. Um, and with that, let's uh, open into our intro and then we'll get into it, inshallah. Assalamualaikum, dear viewers. Lovely to have you guys with us on this Monday night on the fifth episode of The Convo. Um, and yes, you know, as my co-host has introduced, we're looking at a number of uh, news. We, we've, call, we've called this one News Wrap. We're looking at a number of important uh, political developments um, in the Muslim world. Uh, because, you know, um, things happen around the world. And, uh, you know, it's just that... We've got to stay on top of them. Yeah, we've got to stay on top of them. Like, things happen around the world, and sometimes there's, 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 there's big things that, that sort of, because we get so caught up, mm. right, with our, with our daily lives, sometimes this stuff takes, um, takes a back seat. Um, mm. And we don't get to sort of uh, have a conversation around them. We don't get to discuss and uh, uh, figure out what's the details behind it. And it sort of just passes on somewhere in the background. Mm, yeah. So there's some of the stuff that we want to talk about um, um, as my co-host mentioned, UAE and the Israel deal. We want to talk about China. We want to also talk about Yemen. Um, and uh, let's start perhaps with UAE. So we want to yes, look at indeed. Um, this tweet. Let's maybe just start off with this tweet, uh, which talks about the first commercial flight from Israel to the UAE landing in Abu Dhabi. Um, and so this is you know one particular angle of there's an entry point into this conversation. Uh, but of course, it's you know as uh, Hamza said, it's historic for all the wrong reasons. A deal in which um, we have uh, the UAE seeking like normalization, yeah, with, complete normalization, with, like with Israel. More so than just um, normalization, what, what's significant is the fact that uh, 1994, I think, it was Jordan um, mm-hmm. that uh, basically had a peace agreement with um, with Israel, and before that was Egypt. I think that's the right way. I don't think it's the other way around. Yeah, 1978 was Egypt yeah, and yeah, then 1994 right. was Jordan. So for the first time in a long time, an Arab country has basically said, yeah, it's all good mm. um, with Israel. And that's 
that's a very very significant development. It it's been met with harsh criticism from many quarters amongst the Muslim world. Not, I hasten to add, from Muslim leaders. They've gone. Um, some have gone the opposite road and said, "Oh yeah, it sounds good." Like Bahrain, for example. Um, but yeah, it is it is particularly significant in that regard. It's historic. It's something that has come to light, but same time, don't think we should really be surprised about it. No, it's not surprising, but um, you know, the way that the UAE is heralding it as some kind of victory, you know, claiming that after this peace deal, um, Israel has agreed to, uh, you know, refuse to um, continue its annexation yeah. program in occupied land in Palestine. Um, that's the angle that the UAE, UAE is taking yeah. on this but one. They're selling um, it as a win, as a they victory. Are. They're selling it as a victory. Um, and I think in terms of how the powers are selling it is an important part of this conversation. Um, just on that know, note, though, mm. you know what Netanyahu said? Um, he goes, with regards to stopping the settlements and the, um, uh, the increase of them, he didn't actually say that we're not going to have any more. He didn't say we're going to stop them. He said they're on pause, mm. they're on hold. Mm. The UAE is saying, oh, listen, everyone, you know, annexation is going to stop, yeah. it's going to end, blah, 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 and saying, you know, we've done really good from that angle. Yeah, yeah, and then who comes along and says, yeah, look, it's, it's still yeah, going to happen, we've just put it on hold. But not even that, like, forget that. The biggest irony in all of this is that, and I just I did some research on it, because this, this peace deal was signed about a couple of weeks ago, yeah. about three weeks ago. So I went and I looked at, I tried to find the exact date and I'm, I'm running off either the 13th or the 14th of August. Yeah, yeah that's it. Around right. There. So I did a quick search on Google um, to just look at news pieces today because we know at the same time for the last couple of weeks, Gaza is being bombed. The Gaza yeah. Strip is being bombed like relentlessly almost every alternate, if not every single day by Israel. And I wanted to see, I wonder... Because it, it wouldn't come across as a, too much of a surprise, but it is a massive irony, a massive slap in the face of everyone who's heralding this as a victory. Mm. But would you believe that on the day that they signed the deal, the Gaza Strip is being bombed like relentlessly? On the day that they're saying that this is a historic mm. victory where we're not going to annex further land, on the 13th, it's bombed. On the 14th, it's bombed. It's targeting military infrastructure, they say. Um, because you know Hamas is tar is sending in balloon-based incendiary rockets or whatever, um, but but uh, but you know just you can't you can't make this stuff up like <laughs> almost on a daily basis since then as well for the last two or three weeks um, the Gaza Strip is being bombed and apparently um, the UAE has secured a historic deal where it's it's a peace deal yeah peace peace going on whilst. Gaza is being bombed, right? And then, uh, and then Oman comes along, and Bahrain comes along, and throws yeah. its support behind it. So that's, I think. But does it really surprise you? No. Like, does it really actually surprise anyone that on the day that Palestine is being bombed, Gaza is being bombed, the UAE is making friends, shaking hands publicly and joyfully mm. with those sending those bombs down? It's not surprising. I think we've just all grown up like hearing news like this. I remember when Obama became president. Um, in his inaugural speech, he spoke about peace with the Muslim world yeah. and peace with specific Muslim countries. He mentioned Pakistan, an important, um, an important partner against the, in the fight against terrorism. And I remember thinking the same thing because he went very soon after that speech to, to the um, university in Cairo. Yeah, in Egypt, yeah. And he was speaking about... Um, extending an olive branch. Yep, yep. And I literally, that one. as he was talking, 
there were unmanned drones like dropping bombs in the northwestern frontier province of Pakistan. So yeah. it's just the massive irony of it. And you think, you know, you grow up seeing these things and you think when they when they stand up in front of the camera and they say, um, you know, historic peace deal, this is going to change things forever. Um, like who believes it anymore? Yeah. I wonder, I really wonder who yeah. believes it amongst the people. And like apart from rulers amongst themselves, they have a good chit chat about it. But yeah. but even they, even they it? don't actually have any hope for genuine peace. It's not at all. Obviously, it's all political show. Yeah, of course. But it's just you're absolutely right. We've just been so ridiculously mm. accustomed to betrayal of the highest order, and mm. so consistently that it's just not surprising. And yeah. and some like some were like, oh, what the heck? You know, UAE making peace with Israel. It's just you know, it's something so unexpected, so shocking, so surprising. But there's a few things to take out of it. One is that, first of all, it's it's not as though this comes out of nowhere. It's not like it's a vacuum. Mm. There's been ongoing, continuing talks, developments, cooperation, collaboration, yep. all of that happening from well in advance. And this is just the public showing of that now. It's not like comes out and suddenly something's happened and moves have been made and now yeah. suddenly they want to have this agreement. Do you think, do you think, let me ask you something, do you think there's anyone amongst the Muslims who would herald it as a victory? Like who would say, yeah, you know what, there's the victory in this? Oh, I, ca I can't for the life of me imagine that. Any like any Muslims with a genuine and sincere care for the Ummah, for Islam, could actually say that, you know what, this is all right. Oh like, no, man. There's got to be Muslims nah, out there that say can't be man. It yeah, can't because be like, we're not on the same page on everything. Okay, like, there's Muslims with different views, but on, it's, on everything. It's, it's Palestine, bro. Like, it's the big thing. It's the big Still, one. Like, man. like I wonder. I just wonder. Do you reckon there's Muslims out there that say that? Yeah, it, this is this okay, is there could a be step, an important step forward in because look the way they're pitching it. Yeah, right. Is that they're not going to be annexing further land. And I don't know. It's okay, gonna okay. look the ones who may possibly say that it's not that bad. They they'd have to, I, in my estimation, come from the angle of like mitigation. Like this is just harm minimization. They can't be saying that this is actually like an outright good thing. Mm. Like, no. Unless you're like you know, amongst that political class, for example, you've got some vested interest in or whatever. Like then. Mm. I can't, I can't for the life of me imagine genuine sincere Muslims yeah. saying that this is actually okay. The only possible angle, if you're being super sympathetic, okay. could be that it's minimization yeah. of harm. No, I'll tell you why I'm asking. Like, I'll tell you why I'm asking because, you know, you watch this stuff, right, incredulously and just sit there and you just watch it and you think, what is this guy saying? Like the foreign minister of UAE, yeah. Karkash, right? Any number of ways to make fun of that name but let's <laughs> let's move beyond that but Anwar Karkash right yeah. he comes out and he says that that he's saying that appealing to the idea that Israel is illegitimate is this convenient populist idea mm. that the, that the Arabs have moved beyond and even um the Palestinians have moved beyond as well mm -hmm. saying they've moved beyond this idea that you just call it and you sit there thinking what are you talking how how disconnected could you be right because if you look at the people, like if you look at, let's look at some photos of, of how people have responded. And just like, this is apparently the Arabs and the Palestinians have moved beyond the idea yeah. that, that Israel is an illegitimate state. Burning effigies of the crown yeah. prince, right? I think, you know, 
You've got what else have you got? Photos of like people yeah. protesting in the streets. You've got effigies of Trump, of of Netanyahu, right? People burning in the street. Protests in in the heart of Palestine. Yeah, Protest yeah. in the heart of Palestine. What does that say? It says Kha in traitor. Yeah. Like talking about the treachery, talking about the betrayal that this is. Like and I t- and these are not isolated. I just that's the thing. Like I wonder, am I in some like massive echo chamber where we're all just saying, you know, no one's going to take this guy seriously. Are there people out there that actually, is there anyone that buys it or are they just talking to themselves now? I think when it comes to the point of sort of the political expediency and Mm. sort of the benefits that can be attained from this stuff, then it's a particular class that attain that. The ruling Mm. classes, the the political classes, those who have that uh, sort of that interest and that's where they're going to reap the benefits. But for the everyday person, like it, it, it means it doesn't just mean nothing. It means mm. the opposite. It means absolute and utter betrayal. But yeah. you know, even even with the whole idea mm. of the two-state solution, 1967 borders, even that's sort of more rhetorically acceptable, so to speak, because we've just been so battered over the head with oppression and consistent degradation rhetorically acceptable land. to some people yeah, to some, out to some, yeah. obviously like not some, actually acceptable not not to us at all right but like to some Muslims to some in some circles I might say oh look you know 1967 but it's better than nothing it's better yeah. than them going and going but it's just the fact that we've been so relentlessly bombarded like yeah. literally and metaphorically yep. that we got to say alright look 1967 borders is better than mm. nothing and better than now. But what we don't realize, what some of us I think don't realize is the it's better than nothing logic is what's gotten us to where yeah, we are. Absolutely. Just take, just keep, you know, giving and taking, yeah, right? Yeah. And now um, this deal is also better than yeah, nothing. Yeah, it's better than nothing. And the next deal will be better than nothing. That's it. And it'll just keep going and going. Um, I think I think the point about again, yeah, it's not a surprise, not not just nah, with not UAE, but then with Oman and Bahrain, like yeah. as if. As if, you know, when they throw their support behind uh, UAE, it's as if there was some great sultanate bastion <laughs> of Islamic legacy. Because Oman's like, yeah, man, I'll give you my thumbs up as well for this deal. Um, but, bro, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we weren't expecting anything better from you either. <laughs> like Oman, Bahrain. Um, and, you know, people start in the West now questioning. There was a uh, Michael G- Gavin, I think, or Gavin, right, here from the American Enterprise Institute who was talking about um, how people will now start to look at, and I really, I was, I was a little bit irked at his the the the, the line he was taking, yeah. and I'm annoyed that you know obviously that people were going to start to take that position now, but it's inevitable, right? People in the West, he was saying that you know you got some um, commies in the West, and you've got some you know like people Muslims in the West that think that they're more Arab than the Arabs, they think they're more Palestinian than the mm. Palestinians, but look at the Arabs themselves. The uh, Arabs yeah, themselves are God. saying that you know we need to recognize Israel as a legitimate state. Um, so, so yeah. those are some of the voices. Let, let me ask you a question. Mm. So, UAE said thumbs up with Israel, right? Mm. Who do you reckon possibly? Who do you reckon could be next? What do you, what do you reckon could be another shocking announcement of yeah. another Arab yeah, state? Yeah, quite unquote shocking. Coming and saying, you know what, Israel, we're good with yeah, you. I would too. say, I would say some of those countries that we've mentioned, like some of the countries that have. Been very quick to throw their support behind yeah. UAE, like Oman, yeah, like Bahrain. Bahrain is one that's been consistently spoken mm. about. Get this, 
at the maybe Tunisia, Morocco, I chucked yeah, those in as well. Sudan as well. They were saying that Sudan could possibly. Not that anyone cares, but yeah, yeah. maybe some of those tools but, um, will follow. Netanyahu said, um, he goes, and there's two things, two really important sort of statements that were mentioned that just, again, it's no surprise, but it just points the spotlight back to where we know this underhand stuff is happening mm. where all these insects are festering and meeting, right? Mm. That's what they are, nothing mm. more. Mm. Um, they go that uh, Netanyahu says that there are, in fact, I've got the quote here. He goes, there are, quote, many more unpublicized meetings with Arab and Muslim leaders mm. to normalize relations with the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. It's no real surprise, right? Yeah, but it's coming from the horse's mouth. So as this is happening, God knows, Allah knows how many other mm. traders are sitting in rooms discussing how to further sell out the yeah. Ummah. And like, even with this deal, um, Netanyahu mentioned that uh, one of the leaders of the Mossad, their intelligence agency, was like in and out of the UAE for like a year, right? Dealing with this background stuff. Mm. That's one. And then um, Jared Kushner, the son-in-law of Trump, who was apparently instrumental in facilitating this kind of deal. I don't know how true that is, but whatever. Mm. Maybe they just like to take credit because, hey. Um, but he said that we hope that the next states to take this kind of step yep. will emerge in the coming months. Yeah, and they've mentioned some of some Gulf states from which they're anticipating yeah. that that support will come. Um, speaking of Jared Kushner, he... Um, it was just a massive photo up for him as yeah, well. Yeah, he photobombed <laughs> the deal. He said, um, you know, this flight, the, the tweet that we oh mentioned. Oh, God. He, f- he literally, he photo... Okay, not literally, but he photobombed the deal of the, quote, deal of the century because Israel's here and UAE's here and, they've, and you know, Israel's first flight to the UAE. Yeah. And Krishna's like, hang on, guys, let me just jump on this one because I want to get my name in there somewhere. I've got a plane to catch, fellas. Um, I've got to get on this one. But it's everyone's for their own interest. Like yeah. Trump obviously is desperate for, um, you know, a foreign policy victory in yeah. his name. That's it, especially prior to elections. Prior to elections. And he's always wanted that deal of the century yeah, to yeah. come under his name. Netanyahu, likewise, with elections looming, yes, he's yes. got corruption charges against him. That's so he right. wants to be known as sort of the diplomatic victory that yeah. a third Arab country has recognized us. So it's a diplomatic victory for him. And then, of course, UAE's got some interest. Yeah, I'm not massive, too like, sure, but economic interest, I imagine. trade potential. Like I was reading that within hours of this deal being announced, there was mm. massive corporations from both Israel and the UAE were in contact with each other of yeah. how they can do business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's investment, there's trade, there's potentially tourism, there's mm. health. Healthcare is apparently a big one. Um, apparently, Israel is also an expert in cybersecurity and so yeah, forth. And so technology. There's a yeah. lot of to and fro, especially because the UAE is one of the more developed economies um, in the Gulf region, one of the more wealthy ones, one of the, one of the more developed mm. ones. So it seems like there's a fair bit that mm. can come out for the UAE mm. uh, economically as well. But just on the point of that flight, um, you know, we mentioned Bahrain. Mm. It was like, all good. Um, they've also said that they'll allow flights over their airspace, yeah. so green light from there. But interestingly enough, Saudi has also, in fact, Saudi greenlit this flight to go over their airspace. Mm. So baby steps, right, for Saudi. Mm. I'm sure there's backroom dealings going on there as well, no mm. doubt. But now saying that, yeah, you know what? Israeli commercial flights can fly think, over Saudi. I think Saudi of all countries, like, like, no, that's one country that I think you can say without a shadow of a doubt would be keen and oh, eager yeah. to yeah, follow yeah, in yeah. these footsteps. Oh uh, yeah, that's but you know what? That's that's the one where I imagine possibly, possibly mm. 
For some, not for all, because alhamdulillah, many Muslims are able to see beyond this guise that Saudi puts up. Mm. Um, but some would be like, whoa, Saudi? Like, Saudi, Saudi? Like, mm. you know, guardians of the mosques and so forth. Saudis, you know, they're, they're cooperating. Surely they can't yeah. do that. But uh, it's going to happen. I reckon yeah. it's just a matter of time. It's going to happen. Um, but yeah, you know, for us, I think, why is this important? We've got like important, important points of our aqidah, of mm. our Islam. That you associate with Muslims and you dissociate from, you know, the kuffar and those who align themselves with them. So that point of wala wal bara, it's very, very important. You can't expect. We've learned over time that you can't expect anything but betrayal yeah, yeah, from these rulers. And you know, if anything, instead of like calling out to them and trying to be a part of this inf- international framework and infrastructure that supports the oppression, we should we should have our own indigenous voices. You know, where. Yeah. Forbid the evil where we hear it. Yeah, these developments aren't going to stop because we hold one protest in Lakemba. Yeah. Like, the, yeah, sure, the deal's not going to be cut off because we do that. It's a principle. But, but it's, it's a, a principle, matter of principle. Yeah. Like, you don't watch every single development from 1967 or 1948 yeah. to date and say, you know what, what's me raising my voice going to do? Whatever, let's it, just let it slide. Imagine those who came before us had that attitude Same where they attitude. were like, you know what? We gotta let it go now. We gotta just imagine every generation has slightly mm. less of a voice mm. of resistance. Mm. What would then occur I with just our think children and children? To, like we just lose. Yeah, and I just our think you know I had the fortune of being involved in some of the activism within the scene in Sydney with the Hizb with Hizb al-Tahrir from an early age, right? Um, from a younger age, and and I think you know because of that I sort of woke up to some of the realities around the world. Um, and I took a voice and I took a position and I've sought to structure my life in a certain way where I dedicate some time to, and I think what, what that's what I think gives me meaning in my yeah. life, right? And inshallah reward in the hereafter. But I wonder for my kid, yeah, like he's growing up, I've got a four and a half year old, Yusuf, and he, I, I, he's growing up in a world where now like several Arab states are normalizing yeah. relations. I wonder like, you know, if what position he'll, like personally take like yeah. growing up how will he conceive of the response of muslim communities in the west and in the east towards this issue of palestine and is it something that just like it's on the radar is it should it not be on the radar is it just something you just ignore because oh these things have been going on forever or should i talk to him and say make a point yeah. of never accepting any development except one that is in favor of Islam, like yeah, absolutely, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's where I come it's from. Be as like a, deliberately pushed. Yeah, you have to, like, and I, I think it's for the sake of the kids. Like it's yeah. for the sake of the next generation growing up in Sydney. I remember our kids. My parents and grandparents would watch ABC News um, and then SBS News one after the other. And as a young kid, I was always annoyed as to why they needed to watch two news broadcasts of the exact same thing because I wanted to watch cartoons at the time. Right, <laughs> but that's besides the point. Um, but I remember whenever just the trying to save my kid from being someone like you, like just wants to watch cartoons. Ouch, and ouch. <laughs> you didn't even get the moral of the story. Let me get to the details. Right, let's get first, there. Right? Let's get there. Anyway, I used to watch this right, and anytime there was Israel-Palestine issues, you'd see Yasser Arafat. Right, mm. he'd be on screen, um, and you know they'd be showing him the deals and this and that and what's going on, and Netanyahu would make an appearance or Sharon and so forth. Right, obviously many many years ago, mm. um, and I just I just remember that my family would be watching it parents, grandparents, and they'd be like, you know, just cursing Israel and saying this and that, and they're just criminals and whatever. And so in my mind, even from a young age, I always had this image of, even though now I know that there was political compromises made, and he wasn't at all the actual good guy, but Yasser Arafat, for me, was the good guy because he represented the Palestinians. Mm. 
And those guys that I saw on the news that were from Israel, they were the bad guys. Like I knew that intuitively as I was growing up, but that was only because of exposure. Now mm. imagine we limit the kinds of exposure. Mm. We just lose our connection to yeah. these critical, critical issues that it need is. to remain close we to need our to, hearts. Yes, there's a voice in the Muslim world in which you know uh, Muslims in the Muslim world need to keep the resistance alive physically. But uh, I think Muslims in the West need to sort oh, of yeah. keep the voice of resistance alive as well. And it's, uh, it's, it's an Islamic obligation. We've got to do it. Allah, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands that we enjoin good forbid evil and we speak out against mm. uh, this kind of injustice. It's yep. critical from an Islamic point of view, also from a, a principled moral point of view. Mm. We've got to keep doing it. So that brings that segment to an end. We might look at Yemen. So Yemen, uh, y- there's a lot that's happened. Oof, there's a lot that's been happening over the years in Yemen. To be yeah, honest, man. 2011. Um, yeah, man. Stop. 2011. <laughs> uh, 2011 um, is when the crisis started. Yeah. Uh, of course, it's long-standing with Abdullah Ali Saleh. Like a, he was one of those. He's from that class of you know your the Mubaraks yeah, and your Gaddafis who've been there for three or four decades. I think it was by there 33 years. 33 or years, right? He's been in position. Um, supported by the British. Don't you get tired of that like betrayal going on for that long? Oh, I think you get tired get of the used betrayal. To it. it just becomes a slave <laughs> mentality of just serving the needs of your <laughs> it's master. It's like imagine him looking at his calendar. All right, so today I've got some betrayal on the agenda, <laughs> followed by some more betrayal for thirty-three years of it. <laughs> but on a serious note, right? So much is happening. It started in 2011. 2015 really intensified when Saudis yeah. joined in. Civil war um, time. It became like a civil war. And now, of course, um, it's being dubbed as the greatest humanitarian crisis of the last half century. Yeah, it's um, and, and the situation's really, really bad. Oh. There's a, um, it's a very ugly situation. You've got a political crisis. You've got a, an economic crisis. It's an ecological crisis as well where they just don't have enough water. Yeah, they don't have astounding. enough water in various parts of the cities uh, to feed themselves, right? And where they do, that water is so badly contaminated that you've got cholera outbreaks. Yeah, like the worst in decades. The in UN decades, was saying the worst right? cholera outbreak in so decades. So the UN's in on it, obviously, with their tokenistic commentary. But but the situation in Yemen is, is really bad. It's dire, man. Like, um, I think latest figures put it at around roughly 100,000. Yep. 100,000 who casualties. have died. Casualties alongside those who have perished due to famine, malnourishment, yep. Yep. poverty. And that's not talking about the hundreds of thousands of displaced refugees. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Millions. Millions fact, think, of refugees. Mistaken, yeah. yeah, displacement. 80% of the population is in dire need of assistance. 80%. Yep. That's 8 out of 10 people need urgent, urgent, like life-saving assistance yep. from outside sources. And it's just, it, it just boggles the mind. And... and like, it's bad enough that this is the issue. But you just, you know, on this theme of sort of betrayal and so forth, like, who's one of the key players leading the aerial assault in Yemen? Saudi. Saudi, mm. right? Again, those protectors of the holy mosques are wonderfully protecting all the Muslims by chucking bombs at them, Mm-mm. right? And, and a vast proportion of the deaths... And they've, they've targeted... And I don't know, like, untold massacres. Yeah, Saudi ridiculous. is responsible in Yemen for untold massacres. It's targeted hospitals. Hospital, bro, I read... Like, uh, at what point uh, do you... Like, how does that... How does that fi- hey, go, go figure. Like, like how do you justify that? How on earth do you justify that? They've targeted that? hospitals because 
apparently, right, you've got oh, healthy uh, resistance fighters. This is the line they'll take, right? Healthy resistance fighters who are taking shelter in key positions around hospitals, and then it's just collateral from there. Right. They had, subhanAllah, this was just horrifying. Not that anything, all the rest of it is anything less. Mm. But there was one particular attack. I'm not sure if you came across it as well, but mm. um, 44 school children, schoolboys, who were on a field trip, their bus was bombed, mm. right? And it was in a busy marketplace, and the driver had stopped there to get some snacks yeah. for the kids and probably for himself and so forth. Saudi bomb, right? Apparently US made, which is a whole nother layer of complication to this. 44 mm. innocent young schoolboys who were wearing UNICEF backpacks, mm. destroyed, killed, yeah, massacred. And, and so much of it is US made. No. So much of their military uh, infrastructure, so much of their bombs, the fact that Saudi does not have the capacity to refuel mid-air, that infrastructure is being supplied by the United States. And yeah. so there is a debate uh, in the United States about the role of the United States. They've tried to pass a bill to mm. pull back from the war. And Trump has, obviously... Cause, cause because they've got fantastic morals, yeah, right? Yeah, they're going they're, they're around so, they're dealing... So good you know, so the deal of the century in Israel and Palestine, they're trying to bring about oh. peace there. And obviously, and they're trying Yemen. to bring about some major humanitarian crises across the border in Yemen. So, so that's America for you. Um, Let me ask you, wait, mm. before you continue. So you mentioned Houthis. Give me a lowdown. Who are these people? Like, what are the parties involved? Because, mm. yeah, humanitarian crisis, but you mentioned political crisis. Yep. Talk to me about who's who. What's going on? So, so you can talk about the people. You've got, um, you've got the president, Hadi, who sought refuge in Saudi Arabia. You've got, obviously... So Hadi was a right-hand man to Abdullah Al-Saleh, yep, who yep. we've spoken about, who was a... Um, Dictator, effectively, yep. British-backed um, for three decades, he ruled over Yemen. His right-hand man, Hadi, then came to power. Um, I think the situation was that um, not just because of, you know, people get sick of one guy over 30 years. That enough. Presumably. That, yeah. that itself is enough <laughs> to, you know, justify trying to remove him. But on top of that, obviously, I mean, these guys, your Mubaraks and your Gaddafis and your um, Abdullah Al-Saleh, they're not running the country like sincerely yeah. They're not looking after the interests of the people it's all for themselves. And so there's a political crisis There's an economic crisis There's an ecological crisis But, but also on the point of the political crisis There are um, Zaydi like, mm. Which is a sect of the Shia yeah. Minority in fact, it, it's it's not a minority, like it's a minority, but it's a mass, it's a big minority. Yeah, so it's, yeah significant right? proportion. It's forty yep. percent of the population, yeah. right? Um, and are Zaydis in Yemen, and they they face some serious suppression. Okay, right from that government. Yep. Right. So when Hadi comes to power, we're talking twenty eleven Arab Spring is coming across uh, from I Egypt. Guess, yeah, so that's had it the trickles impact, yeah. over into Yemen yeah, for yeah. these reasons. Um, and then when when there's a co cosmetic change that happens, obviously the the people in general have a serious discontent, but in yeah. particular the Houthis, because they feel that we've been suppressed for so long. Yeah. So this new bloke came in, um, Hadi came in after Saleh was He comes ousted, in after right? Saleh yeah. is ousted, yeah. but he comes in, you know, as a, another British right man. Yeah. Um, and that's where you have a healthy uprising. So they they're not happy with Saleh, they get rid of him. Yeah. But when you see when they see cosmetic change, like you saw in other parts of the yeah, Arab yeah, world, yeah. there's a bit of an uprising. There's take over key positions. 
right? And and that's where the sort of the problems really start mm. with in terms of the casualties because yeah. now there's open fire. And fast forward, mm. not to miss skip details, but fast forward 2015. 2015 is, is where the Saudi coalition comes in. So why did they come in? What's so their what's their business here? So we've got we've got a coalition of UAE, Bahrain, Kuwait. We've got Egypt, Jordan. Some of these countries left eventually, like uh, Sudan, Qatar, Morocco. They, they grew a conscience, back. did they? They grew a bit of a conscience. <laughs> no, it was about their interests, <laughs> yeah, right? Of course not. Um, but we've got these parties here. Essentially, we've got a tussle between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Iran supporting the Houthis because where does Iran come into Iran comes from, into bro. it because you've got to seem more uh, convincing than that. But Iran w- comes into it where surprise, surprise, shock. Horror. No, it's because <laughs> of the Shia Sunni divide, right? Okay. And and this is something I want to talk about because I think it's exaggerated. I think and it's, it's a big claim here. Whoa no. But I and really I think that the Shia Sunni divide here in Yemen as the core reason of the conflict is kind of exaggerated. Now, are you telling me that the Saudis aren't sincerely Sunnis <laughs> looking for Sunni interests? Bro, right. that is outrageous. It's outrageous, right? <laughs> Given the history and the record of Saudi Arabia. But that's what they're pushing, right? They're saying, um, to, like, just to play devil's advocate here, they are coming across and saying, we have hostile people, yeah. a hostile group, the Houthiyin, on the border of Saudi Arabia, yeah. supported by a hostile Iran. Yeah. And if things get out of control, because Iran's obviously not admitting it, but it's arming and it's supporting yep, the Houthis, yep, yep. Um, then things could get ugly for a Saudi Arabia that wants to try and control more of the Middle East. And yeah. by Saudi Arabia, I mean, right? The, the US. The United States wants through Saudi Arabia to control more of the Middle East There's and the direction. There's too many parties in this, bro. There's too just many think hands. of it like this. Just think of, just think of Saudi Arabia and Iran. Yeah. Right? And think of the United States and... Saudi, Iran. Yeah, you've got okay. Saudi, you've got Iran, yep. and that's the tussle that everyone seems to see. Yep, okay. I think behind it is obviously you've got America... Behind Saudi. Behind Saudi. Yep. And you've got uh, the UK, which is behind... Where did they come <laughs> just, into just this listen, from? Just listen. I well, don't have enough hands we for said, this. We said at the start... <laughs> All right, we said ahead. at the start that, that Abdullah Ali Saleh... Yeah. For 33 years, yeah. what it was a British-backed agent running Yemen. Okay. Don't forget, we're talking about Yemen here, right? All right. All Don't right. get so too Yemen's lost. still involved in this. Yemen, right? You've got Yemen and you've got Abdullah Ali Saleh for 33 years, a British-backed agent yep. who is running, right? Now, America, America's habit all over the world, right, yeah. is that it's not happy with, with Britain having uncontested control. Mm-hmm. Over okay. a particular Arab country. All right. If America can't control the interests and the strategic, political, and economic interests of a certain country, yeah, it wants to be able to sort of at least play a role. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So, following you've it. got say so you've got Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Right. So we've got Abdullah Ali Saleh supporting, uh, supported by the British, yep. and America, right through Saudi Arabia yep. is trying to have a say. And okay. just think of it like this. Just think of it like America coming in and saying, look, we might not be able to control the outcome of this, yeah. but we are certainly happy for it to get dirty enough. We don't care about the Houthis. Yeah. We don't care about the Saudis. They could kill each other off for all yeah. we care. But we need it to get dirty enough for Yemen to now become contested territory. 
It can't be uncontested British territory. Oh, okay, I see. Right? I see. And so it gets ugly. But who cares about the humanitarian crisis, right? Yeah, throw 100,000 lives in there. Who cares about the? Who cares about that? There are details to it, obviously. You've got um, the Houthis, specific Muhammad Ali, Abdul Malik, Hussein Badr-Din. Yeah. There's a specific Houthis with their own, obviously, right, interest and what yep, they're talking yep. about. And then it gets it gets very messy with that Saudi-led coalition some have pulled out of and it. And there's some, like, there's a Southern Transitional Council there's as a, well. There's like a the secessionist South, yeah. movement where Britain says, okay, well, if I'm going to lose control of, of, um, of this crisis, then I want to insert a new party. And then they start the secessionist yeah. party in the South. Right, so it's a very Who, if ugly I'm not scenario. mistaken, are also somewhat backed by the UAE. Yes, by the UAE as well. Which is also might, backing Saudi yes. and the government. But like I the like I want the way I see it is it's in it, regionally yeah. and then there's internationally. Yeah. Right? There's a regional conflict and there's an international conflict. All Can right. we maybe just have a look quickly at the video? There was an Al Jazeera piece that mentioned the right, world's largest humanitarian, humanitarian crisis isn't in Syria. It's in Yemen. Yemen. Thousands have been killed and millions have been displaced so far. The conflict has been going on for years, but it became especially violent in March 2015. That's when the Saudi-led coalition got involved. Now, the poorest country in the Arab region has become the violent playground for regional and international powers. So it's a longer video. Yeah. We didn't like bother playing the whole thing. Feel free to guys look it up when you get your time. I'm not sure which. There's three cameras. Not sure which camera to look at anymore. I just look at Hamza now. At me. Look at me. Um, but yeah, but yes. So you've and, and this is normal, like in politics. Like you're not talking about you and your neighbor had an argument over whether you're allowed to use fireworks in your backyard or not, right? As you do. I hope you're not <laughs> using fireworks. In like your it's backyard. it's not. A, I, was, I was trying to say it's not a regular like Sunday evening argument, right? <laughs> not sure. What kind I, of I really don't know where you're going with the analogies here. But it's not. It's not about you and your neighbor and like who has control over you know the front patch of whatever, right? Your driveway. Mm. Can they walk over it? Can you yeah, park yeah. your car there? It's disruptive. It's not two neighbors. We're talking political mm. situation. You've got region. It's dirty. It's like Syria. It's like yeah, it's yeah. dirty. You've got Russia involved. You've got Iran involved. You have the French involved. You've got the USA involved, and of course, right? People are trying to pursue their own interests. So, like that, you've got a British-backed agent who America's not happy with having Britain having uncontested control, right? So Britain gets so so initially America gets involved by backing the Houthi in, and when they don't go far enough, they come back and they back the Saudis. And I think for us, one of the takeaway points is yeah. right. The takeaway points is that America is happy to just swap sides. Like yeah. It's about political expediency. It's not just America. It's any one of them. It's right? Any powers, one of them right? will back anyone else who's going to do something in hmm. favor of them. Like, you know, and, and it's so interesting to see how, like, Iran comes into it, right? Hmm. Like, the fact is that Yemen is, is close to Saudi, right? In, uh, proximi in proximity, geographically speaking, hmm. right? And so for Saudi to have... An Iran-controlled militia at its mm. border is massively bad news, right? And they can't have that because Iran wants regional power, Saudi wants regional power. Mm. And so it's just this proxy contestation that's being played out and Saudi needs to get the US behind it because the US mm. doesn't want um, for Iran to have unrivaled power yep. in the region either. They want to have, sort of, have control over both players mm. in that area. Yep. And the UAE's got to see who it's going to side with as well and yep. goes down the Saudi road. Doesn't want Iran to have significant power. Just speaking of that, interestingly enough, we didn't really mention it with Israel and UAE. I'm not going to drag that topic back in. 
But one of the reasons that have been cited for Israel and the UAE to get together is because they share a dislike of Iran's for growing Iran. influence in the mm. region. Right? Israel and Iran don't get along. UAE doesn't like Iran either. Right? So part of that is also part of that deal mm. is to denigrate and to reduce mm. the influence mm-hmm. of Iran in the region. But you just you just see no, how messy it, it all it gets. It is man. messy. And you know, I we looked at we're looking at Yemen, the Uyghur issue and the UAE Israel peace deal. And for the Yemen one, I couldn't. I had to go on my Excel spreadsheet. I had to create like a little table. Yeah. I was like, who are the people? Who are the belligerents? <laughs> like, you have to get your head across because it's messy. But the point, I think there's a couple of points. Number one, yeah, the messiness of it, if you start to read it, you realize people can switch sides. Like these powers switch sides like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For them, it's, it's about interest. So it. that classic quote by Lord Palmerston, British parliamentarian from the, from like the eight, 17th or 18th century, where he says that Britain has no permanent... Friends and it has no permanent enemies. Now, I think the, the phrase is, the, the quote is, Britain has no permanent um, allies and it has no permanent enemies. It only has permanent interests. Yeah. And that's it. that's it's just interest. About. It's yeah. just what do I want at what point and if, if my interest can be met by siding up with the Houthis, yeah. at one point I'll side up with them. If I realize I'm overstretched, I'll side up with the Saudis. I don't care if both of them kill each other off. My point is now that I've supported the Saudis with intelligence, with um, arm, with sort of military infrastructure, with funding, I don't want to see, right, officially, Saudi, uh, America's gone in officially, there's a bill, like they've documented it, they've gone mm. in. So they don't want to be seen as the US agent is now on the run. Yeah, yeah. So, right. so they're not backing out for that reason. And you know what the thing is, right? SubhanAllah, our, like, our lands, as if they're not destroyed enough, like it's, it's bad enough that unfortunately the Muslim lands... Mm have been so invaded, corrupted, destroyed and everything mm. else. Like it's almost no longer just just a matter of keeping the Muslims down. Mm. It's now the playground for international powers yep. to contest each yep. other. Yep. And it's like so when did we get to that kind of a position? Like yep. initially, you know, it used to be and obviously these were horrendous times, mm. but countries would be invested in their politicking in the Muslim world for the sake of having dominance over it and preventing the Muslims from having sort of their own political destiny in their hands. Now it's not just that. It's like, okay, we actually are going to contest each other yep. in your backyard and there's nothing that you I'd can say, do about it. I think it. they've always done that. I think they've always um, used it, but just the brazenness yeah, with which they'll so come out outright. and use. Like, like the Al Jazeera report started off by saying that Yemen has become the playground of regional international powers. Yeah. Just come in. Muck around, let's see who gets what in the end, walk off with a piece of cake and a million displaced, yeah. 100,000 killed. Bury whoever not a you problem, need to, right? doesn't matter. It's, it's not all a about problem. your interest. But it's just like one level is like we're going to take on a country mm. because they're a threat. That country itself mm. or that nation or that people is a threat. So it's one level to take them on mm. because they're the problem in mm. your eyes. But it's a whole other level where it's like, oh, we can just ignore mm. them. Yep. We're just looking at what others are doing now in that area. See, and even on the Shia-Sunni issue, like I, I personally want to make this point, you know, that I think more of the Muslim community needs to look into just that point you were making. Like, does, is, do you reckon Saudi, given what we know about Saudi, do you reckon Mohammed bin Salman, do you think the biggest thing on his mind is, we are a Sunni state. Oh, we've got to protect Sunni Islam. And we've got to protect Sunni Islam. And yeah. that's why we're fine. Like, I really think more of the community needs to sort of 
we all, all of us, need to sort of wake up to this point. Yeah. It's not a Sunni Shia divide. Like, yes, there are Sunni Shia tensions. Yes, they exist. But what's America doing? America is coming in and it's, it's able to get Saudi involved by using their hatred of the Shia in Yemen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. Us, it's using that. But is this a sectarian issue at the heart of it? No. It's a political issue for the interests of superpowers. Yeah. Um, and Yemen's long been contested like by superpowers. It's been British-controlled land, and America's long not been happy with it. Um, and now they have an ample, dirty playground for them yeah. to come in and, and, and sort of make and, and mark not, their territories. Let's not allow Iran to go unchecked. It's the yep. same story, but paralleled, right? Yep. Couldn't care less about Shia, Shiaism. Mm. No concern whatsoever. It's about their regional interests, their political interests. They'll throw under the bus whoever they need to. They'll contest whoever they need to for their interests, not for the protection of their people or Shiaism or anything of the sort. Hmm. It's, again, all about their selfish, yep. exclusive interests. Yep. So, so there's some takeaways there. We want to look at Shia-Sunni divide. We really want to look at... Maybe we get a chance to sort of look at these issues in more detail in the Perhaps next uh, podcast or in one of the future podcasts. But um, we might move on to our next uh, issue. All right, so our next issue mm. is the... What's our next issue, Mr. Qureshi? Well, I was just about to say it. Well, you just need a bit more enthusiasm, buddy. Let's go. I want to talk about it. I want to get to the issues. I want to know what you have to say about China. You've taken... About oh, I'm going to take your introduction. That uh, next issue, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is on... Uh, it's the on Uyghur Muslims in the northern Chinese it is region. Too. So it is... Pardon some of our banter, but it's a serious issue and... You know, in the research for some of this stuff, it's mind-boggling some of the stuff. We we come across statistics um, <clears throat> and you try and, um, like, you're trying to extract information from it that that can be used in a podcast yeah. like this that we can talk about. But so much of it is so... It's all horrifying. It's horrifying all and it's, it. like, harrowing to see some of these images, these satellite images of concentration camps that come out of China. Um, so you, d you really don't know where to begin Like I was having a conversation with my co-host here Before we started And I said to him On the issue of China On the issue of the Uyghur Muslims in China Like where do you start? Like what it, do we start with? so what much to look at what, what, Where do we start and what conversation you, And we just conclude You know let's just talk about it Let's just yeah. share some of our research I think um, one of the first things we can look at Is this issue of the what the Chinese government, the uh, Communist Party, calls the re-education camps. Mm. So these are camps where, at the moment, roughly, and it's probably more if you if you investigate further, I think it's between one to three million, one to three million Muslims mm. are being detained. Now, it calls these camps re-education, where they're apparently educated about Chinese state ideology, and it's all really friendly and hunky-dory, right? Sounds very 1984. Oh, oh bro, this, this outdoes Orwell. In fact, I was reading um, an article not long ago that said that if George Orwell saw what China is doing now, he'd be horrified. He'd be vindicated. <laughs> so it, it's beyond Orwellian, right? So one to three million concentration camps. Mm. And... They are confined to the rooms. They are forced day in, day out to chant slogans about the People's Republic of China. And mm. in fact, there are reports from Muslims there 
who've said that they've been forced to eat pork, drink alcohol, mm. purely for the sake of sort of insulting their yeah. Muslim identities and sensibilities. Yeah. Um, and you've and got you can see the intensity of it. It's not just not being allowed to eat. It's being forced to eat things that, you know, against against the Islamic culture and the imposition of a hand culture. Yeah, yeah. Right? 80% of China has is subscribes to a hand culture, right? And they just see Uyghur Muslims as different. They dress different, they yeah. talk different, they live differently. Yeah. I, I I saw a video online which was looking at how some of the public perceives like the public. Yeah. We're not talking about the government. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about the CCP. We're talking about the government here, the people. The people, and there's this lady that's being interviewed, and sh- they're like, oh, tell me about the Uyghur Muslim people. And she goes, they're just different. They're just all thieves and robbers. Like yeah. all of them, they're just thieves and robbers. Massive, massive propaganda campaign. Massive lack of creative capacity. City. Creative <laughs> capacity where you say, yep. Thieves and robbers, that's pretty much saying the same thing. But <laughs> Well done, lady. But, but you do not take an entire ethnic group and just generalize them as thieves and robbers, right? But y- you can see the success of the Chinese Communist Party yes. in, in propagating that. Yes. Because then what they're doing is putting a million thieves and robbers into re-education, re-education camps, camps yeah. right? Although, uh, you know... So ridiculously euphemized, it's not funny, but... Yeah. Beyond that, like things that go on in there, there's, there's many horror stories that have come out mm. from these places, like forced sterilizations of Muslim women so they can't have children, mm. um, forced abortions as well, rapes, um, there've been torture, fingernails being taken off, uh, made to uh, stand in painful positions for hours on end, screaming from cell to cell that can be heard by everyone, like just just absolute mm. horror stories. And that's that's not even looking at the disappearances where. If people are in a forced, uh, if they're in a concentration camp, then one, their families aren't allowed to see them or mm. talk to them or contact them or anything. But you can possibly find out that they're there. But there's many others who mm. just disappear, just disappear, gone, mm. finished. And there's some of the still searching for them. Some of what's nothing. happening in these uh, camps uh, was mentioned. I remember on a Four Corners report. Um, maybe if we can just have a quick look at the way that this report introduced the issue. A UN panel says the region resembles a massive internment camp where more than one million Muslim minorities have been rounded up, detained and forcibly indoctrinated by the Chinese regime. Witness accounts, satellite imagery and Communist Party documents reveal what appears to be the largest imprisonment of people on the basis of religion since the Since the Holocaust, I think she's trying to say. Um... But yeah, so, I mean, there are reports like that that sort of go in, but I think one of the other big issues is there's hardly any, you know, they have to rely on satellite footage. It means they're really controlling the narrative within China there's, and outside of China as well. There's reports and there's videos that you can watch online where journalists from different countries have gone to the region mm. to try and get footage of these camps and what's going on, even just from the outside. And it's 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 so ridiculous, but... They will, those reporters start to document how they're being followed. And the same people are following them everywhere. And anytime they take out a camera, you will have state officials within minutes, literally within minutes, who r- rock up there in cars, they put your footage away, you can't film here, and they usher them away. Mm. So it's very, very closely controlled. Any of the kind of footage that you find is like yeah. and then secretive the, and footage. And then the footage that taken. comes out, which is not very detailed, because they're trying to get out the informa- whatever information that can come out, um, 
the footage that does come out is so um, unequivocally denied. Because yeah. you had you had like Chinese ambassadors. It's farcical. It's almost laughable. It is, but they you have you have um, Chinese ambassador an ambassador of China that was on a report in the UK, I think on Hard Talk or on one of the British programs, right? Not Hard Talk. That's an old one, but it was on one of the uh, uh, British programs. I can't remember the name, um, and he was being asked like mm. very explicitly. He was shown a video of satellite footage. And he said, can you explain to me what this footage is of? And he's like, um, I'm not sure. And then he goes, okay, you're not sure about this one. Let's. What about this one? And then there was a video of a lady, uh, a couple of videos of ladies who were sort of talking about um, their experiences in China. Yeah. Uh, the experience of their husbands. And they had gotten out and they had moved over because of health reasons. They got the op- opportunity to move out and to migrate. Yeah, yeah. So they were sharing their story from somewhere else in the world. And she's saying my husband was put through like these internment camps. They yeah, were yeah. sleep deprived. Their nails were cut off. Um, they weren't allowed to seek medical aid. Right, whatever. Right, the untold, right horrors. And then he was asked, "What do you have to say about this?" And he goes, "It's unclear who this woman is. It's unclear what this footage is. It's uh. unclear." And I, you know, what? I was getting a little upset at the journalist who just I think I thought let him off too easily. Mm. Right, and I was like, "No, buddy, this is footage of a woman, and there is, there are dozens of heaps other people. And heaps and heaps. There and are heaps. dozens of other footage that verify this same thing. Have you not heard anything about any of this? So the whole, so everyone who's reported on this has just lost their marbles, and it's just re-education. Okay, what are we re-educating them about? Like, who does that anymore? You know, um, interestingly." Talking about the re-education thing, um, last year, I think it was, or perhaps the year, I can't remember exactly when, um, I think it was the year before perhaps, but um, there was a massive leak of uh, Chinese government papers that the New York Times got its hands on, mm. um, conveniently, because at that time, Trump was raging against China, but that aside, um, it gave a lot of detail about exactly what the Chinese Communist Party was doing. And one of the things it was talking about was how Islam is like a virus, Mm. Right, like a virus that's spreading and that these camps and these measures are one of the ways to prevent the spread of mm. this virus. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, soon after they got another virus that they couldn't contain mm. um, and it's gone around the world. But um, that's the way that Muslims were referred to as being infected by mm. a virus and Islam was spoken about in those terms. And mm. So any and all measures are then taken to, like you were saying, right, reduce not just mm. the, the character of them but their visibility. Yep. Their reality, their existence, even. And yeah. I was just reading a report not long ago about how there's like genuine efforts to force demographic change in the region, where, like, for example, fertility rates in that region or um, birth rates have dropped over like two years by 84%. Mm. And there's like forced measures to prevent mm. uh, Uyghur Muslims from actually having children mm. or from continually populating yeah. the area, forced migrations just, back um, into the hand. Just while you finish off that point, uh, we'll, we don't want to conclude just yet, but before we maybe f- um, get back to this point, can I maybe ask the tech guys to put up the number and see if anyone wants to... Oh, yes. Please call in if you want to have a chat about it. have a chat, if you want to ring in, share some of your views on, 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 on Yemen, on the Uyghur issue. Like, what do you think about it? Maybe even what can we do? Like, what more can we do in the West yeah. to raise concern, raise awareness about these issues? What can we do for our kids? What can we do for the community? 
Um, I think the obvious question on my mind personally has always been what can we do more than, and inshallah we all do these two basics, but trying to sacrifice financially and then trying to make dua for, for our Muslim brothers yeah. and sisters who are going through, um, you know, untold horrors across the world, Yemen, um, the Palestinians, and of course in China as well. Yeah. Um, but we're just going to put our number up there. Can so we, please do give we, us a ring. We're happy to yeah. obviously keep the conversation regarding these matters going, critically so an, important issues. A number is, um, ignore what it says on the bottom left, it should say episode 5, but um, our number is on the bottom right-hand corner there. So if you get a chance to please give us a buzz, we'd very much like to hear from you. But uh, sorry to cut you, you were saying? Uh, no, I was just saying that um, there's demographic changes that are being forced mm. uh, in the region. So they actually want to limit um, the growth of families uh, in, in that region, Muslim families, um, and they want to actually change it and bring the Han mm. Chinese population into the area as well and actually create significant changes in the region. Yep. And effectively, like almost uh, the word that's been used is ethnic cleansing. Yep. Um, that has been a term thrown around. Ethnic cleansing, ge- uh, genocide as well. Cultural genocide, if they want to sort of put a modifier uh, before it. But those kinds of terms have been used with regards to the issue. And mm. um, I, I wouldn't say they're particularly far off. No. But one other thing, um, and this is like, this is beyond heartbreaking for any parent is that there's half a million children in state-run orphanages. Now, I say orphanages in inverted commas because their parents are alive, but both parents are in these camps. So just imagine that. Imagine, like, Mm. your child is in an orphanage run by the Chinese government you have no idea what they are going through. You have no idea if they're being clothed and fed and taken care of. You've got no mm-hmm. clue. But yourself, your partner are in these camps and your children are now wards of the state. Mm-hmm. And you've got no contact with them. You've got no idea what is happening with them. And you don't know if you'll see them mm-hmm. again. Half a million children. Yeah, there's that. That's and then I, I also remember um, my wife was telling me uh, because <coughs> there's a campaign online to raise awareness about what's happening with the Uyghurs. Um, You could find it if you look up online. I don't know the exact name of it. If our team can give me a name. What's the name of the campaign that's being run on the Uyghur issue? uh, We'll get the name if you can find it. But there's a campaign. It would be good to sort of support it, encourage it. Um, but my wife, who was involved in that ca- online campaign, was telling me um, there's there's what you're talking about, but also there's some serious level of like uh, mental rewiring oh, yeah. that they try and do. Absolutely, like actually re-education, but like rewiring, where they will try and um, just convince a person that Islam is not for you. Islam's not a thing. Oh, it's more than that. It's like our supreme leader yeah. is the leader of the communist party. And like to, to let go of core aspects of the aqidah, to let go of... Because it's an aggressively secular state, mm-hmm. right? So to let go of the concept of believing in Allah. And you think, you know, how can a Muslim actually... And there, But there are people who... You know, who knows what we'd go through, like what you'd say and what you'd do if you go to that level of torture. Yeah. Right, and they're not asking for you. Like they're not asking for lip service. They yeah. want to see conviction. Like I said, it's the most aggressively secular state in the world. Mm. Um, and you, whenever you heard about concentration camps, 
like when, in growing up in school and they, they spoke about concentration camps, it always evoked like, you know, Hitler and the Nazi yeah, regime Holocaust and the Holocaust imagery. and six million Jews died, yeah. right? And But it was always a thing of the past. It was like, and then the world moved on. Yeah, and it's like we're, stuff, we're, we're behind, that's behind us now. It's behind us. We don't us, do that right? anymore. And obviously we know through the war on Iraq and Afghanistan and, and, and Bosnia, we know through countless examples um, in the Muslim world that of course killing is still a it's a big thing on um, the priority list for the for the superpowers, but but for China, which again has been sort of like a growing economic power, yeah, yeah. that's what everyone sees it as. This right. sort of uh, they've got a lot of money, they've got a lot of influence, but some not seriously like aggressive yeah. policies um, against a an ethnic minority in the form of these concentration re-education camps, um, untold, absolutely untold horrors. Let me just mention, because we spoke about the betrayal of Muslim rulers and so forth. Um, let me mention just one or two quick quotes, right? Mm. So, a letter to the UN that was signed by Algeria, Bahrain, Egypt, Kuwait, Oman, Pakistan, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Syria, and the UAE mm. about China and about these camps. Mm. China has undergone a series of counter-terrorism and de-radicalization measures including setting up vocational education and training centres. Now safety and security has returned to the region and people there enjoy a stronger sense of happiness, fulfilment and security. Mm. We note with appreciation that human rights are respected and promoted in China in the process of counter-terrorism and de-radicalisation. Mm. Thank you, dear Muslim leaders, yep. for that. And signing on to that. And, you know, you get like a leader like Imran Khan come out on the issue of Palestine. And he said that Pakistan will always stand for the Palestinians. Um, And any peace deal has to be viewed within the context that makes the Palestinians the center of the issue. Even then he wouldn't come and say Israel is an illegitimate state. But Uh, he'll say, all right, we're on the side of the Palestinians on this issue. And we're always for Palestine. We're always for Muslims. But when he's interviewed on the Uyghur issue... Yeah, what he was said, his response? He sounded very much like a Chinese ambassador being asked about the question. Yeah, uh, so he said, I do not know the exact situation. Yep. The Chinese have been a breath of fresh air for us. They've been extremely helpful to us. We have plans of reviving our economy, and China is going to play a huge role mm. in that. Can I just see that? Because there's apparently some comments I'd like to read out from our, from our esteemed uh, viewers. viewers. Dash listeners. Um, so there's a couple of comments here. Um, how much power and influence do we, the non-state actors, really have? Usually shank- sanctions, uh, boycotts and diplomatic tellings off can impact policies based on interest. But again, what can non-state people do? Um, I think it's a, a critical question. question. That's yeah, a really, a really good question. question. Um, some of the other questions there, I think they're more like comments. I'm leaving them for now, but we'll look at this question. Um, what can us as non-state actors do? It's, I think there's two points to it. Number one, you're never going to be able to do what a state can do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, a, that, that's, the, that's key the core point. Yeah. You're never going to be able to do what a state can do. And so the priority should be to try and, re- try and like mirror that strength in the form of a state. Only a state that has strong Islamic, like sincere interests yeah. that wants to protect the Muslims you know, the, a kind of state that is um, uh, modelled on the on the on the state of the Prophet, so Islamic Muhammad state, the Khilafah. 
Only an Islamic State modelled on that can actually repel, can actually protect, yeah. serve as a shield, serve as true diplomatic like relations with countries, sever uh, diplomatic ties with a country. Like um, Mahmoud Abbas came along and said, I'm going to sever diplomatic ties with UAE. And he called back his ambassador. And you think, whoop-de-doo. Yeah, like, cool story, bro. I'm pretty sure you've done stuff like that in the past. Not going to amount to very much at all because guess what? The Muslim world doesn't look up at you as some kind of bastion of Islamic interest or the interest of the Palestinian people. Yeah. I think we, we need to... So I think the first thing is not very much like as non-state actors. 100%. Uh, we really just need to can't. wake up to that reality. Like yep. it is a reality. We are just going to be inevitably and unfortunately counting our tragedies counting our backward steps, mm. counting the humiliation and the degradation mm. day by day, month by month, year by year, until we are on a playing field where we can match blow for blow mm. the political powers. Mm. That's just a reality. That's, That's what's going to happen. And there is no alternative to that. Mm. Like We can sit around and hypothesize as much as we want, but mm. until we have genuine leadership, that's got the capability to at least mm. act in a significant political manner mm. and do the things that were mentioned in that comment, right? Sanctions, diplomacy, whichever means you decide to take mm. militarily, even if that's what's on the cards, mm. it's just not going to change. So I think if maybe that's the first point. And the second point would be um, do what you can as a non-state actor to try and get to that position, right? Like, that's critical. Like, you know... You ask yourself, what am I as a Muslim? You know, you learn certain skills or you develop certain interests growing up, right? As a student in a, in a school or a university and you figure, look, this is my thing. I could do this. I see myself as a lawyer, as a teacher, mm. as a... I think at some point as a generation of young Muslims, we have to also have key like political objectives in your mind, like you've got to stop thinking like 1.7 billion strong, but we're thinking like individuals. Yeah. Really like got, at some point you're going to be like, yeah, I've got my individual life, but I want to see myself as part of an ummah and I want to try and establish that level playing field where we'll be able to respond to a blow with a blow, yeah. right? Or we'll be able to defend in the face of a blow. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be just responding to fire with fire, but it's about defense as well. As the Prophet wasallam says, right? Um, that the person at the top, the political leader sitting at the top, controlling right, the affairs of the Muslims, he's a shield. Yeah. Right? That, that he is the person, he's the shield from behind which you fight, and he protects you when others fight against you. Right? So, so that's, I think, it's part yeah. of the first point. But then at the same time, I think. You know, in the absence of yeah, it's not like we sit around and do nothing because okay. hey, we haven't got the political leadership. We got to craft our activism in a way where we at least produce the vision mm. of having that. Mm. Like if we if we don't have that vision, that that's where we need to be. Mm. Then we're just going to have disparate attempts this way, that way, and whichever mm. other way. It's just going to be sort of a relatively chaotic collection of actions. I'm not saying those actions are bad or shouldn't be done. Mm. But they're just not directed. They're not guided in we, a particular We just direction. need to have that vision, a proper systematic vision that this is where we need to be and organize ourselves on that basis where, yes, it could be a potentially decade-long, mm. decades-long or even generationally-long, whatever it may mm -hmm. be, right? Victory is in the hands of Allah. Yeah. But our responsibility is to be moving in that direction. I think, you know, what would be very interesting is actually 
And I encourage our audience tonight to maybe undertake this exercise at some point when you get the chance. In Ramadan, we get the opportunity to read the Quran really closely and you start thinking about ayat and you read tafsir. But obviously, the encouragement from the imams and from the Prophet himself is that, you know, that's supposed to be something training ground. Like it's a train, the Sahaba used to treat Ramadan as a training ground. Yeah. So use time outside of Ramadan to look at. One exercise I would encourage is try and see what key, like, Principles can be extracted from the Quran and Sunnah when it comes to the issue of like political unity. Like you have things like you have crises happening in these countries that we've spoken about on tonight's show, and we're trying to wrap up, inshallah, to this this podcast. But what does this like? Because I, what does the Quran and Sunnah say about this, and how can I like rearrange my life to try and address some of these issues? So, um, you know, we we grow up hearing this hadith about inna inna fasting is a shield. On that same pattern, the Prophet ﷺ says that إِنَّمَا الْإِمَامُ جُنَّةِ The political leader, your, your khalifa, is a, is a shield, mm. right? So to extract something from it, what do we take away from that? Like, what do we take away from the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, right, in the Qur'an, the tafsir of which Imam Qurtubi, he says in tafsir of a particular verse, um, in uh, Surah Al-Anfal, mm. that unless you... Do what they do, meaning the kuffar. Unless you bandy up and unless you group up, right, and protect one another, the kuffar are protectors of one another. Unless mm. you become like that and protect one another, there's going to be facade and corruption in the yeah. earth. And yeah. on, on the, and the, the crisis, yeah, that's what we see. The that's exactly what we turmoil, see. the displacement of millions of people, the killing, it all comes under that corruption. Yeah. I think the solution to that. Um, to answer your question, uh, sister, is to to take the advice, to take the um, the commands of the Prophet Sallallahu and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala seriously when it comes to the political issues. We might wrap up on that note. Yeah, um, we don't have. Um, there's a couple of other comments, but we encourage our audience to read through them as well. We all get a chance, and I, I might personally try and respond to some of the other comments that have Inshallah. come through on Facebook. Um, and we raise our hands in dua to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to to um, bless us with relief. Amen. Um, just as you know, we found relief after the bushfires with rain. Um, we ask for these fires in the Muslim world to be relieved by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's blessings. And we'll end on that note, inshaAllah. Wa'akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.